crossing the train tracks right now. Some dudes, check us out. There's the rear. Pulling into the parking lot. Probably for, uh, I'd say workers. Yeah. There's I a hard hat right there. Employees, there's a hard hat. We're looking at a train car. What do you call these, double stacked ones? Uh, yeah, so these are uh, what I would call double stacks. Um, they are uh, intermodal, which is like uh, the international way of shipping things that is just shipping containers. Everything gets packed into a container and stuck on a boat. The boat goes to the dock. The containers get lifted off and put on trucks and trains and get moved to other facilities where they get offloaded, and that's basically it. So, like, before that, it was just, like, you had a ship with just, like, a big hole, and you'd fill it up with crates and shit, and then you'd go down to the dock, and everybody would have to offload the crates one by one and push them around and put those onto trucks, but now it's just, like, a big lift from above picks up the shipping container off the boat and just, like, moves it over, drops it down onto a train, they just attach it, and then the train takes off. So these are IM cars for double stacks. Do these ones go under uh, bridges or in like tunnels or do you, you end up like being in open country? Um, no, you go uh, tunnels and bridges and all sorts of stuff. Uh, the first train that I hopped was not an IM, but we went through uh, some tunnels up near Donner's Pass, which is like oh, wow. uh, California, Nevada border. And, near uh, Lake Tahoe? Yeah, up near Lake Tahoe. It was uh, coming out of uh, Roseville, which is near Sacramento, and then it ended up, I got off in Cheyenne, Wyoming, but um, it probably kept going to Chicago, maybe, or at least North Platte, Nebraska. And you just got off because of time, or what? Uh, I got off because I was uh, trying to get go home to Denver and see my family but um on that like up through the mountains that route there's a ton of uh tunnels that you go through and you're just like on a train in the dark in the tunnel and all the smog from the engine is just filling the tunnel oh, and you're like running out of air and I uh <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't ever been and so I didn't really know what to expect but like air is like leaving and all I can smell is fumes and I'm like getting lightheaded and I was like oh shit what if this tunnel just goes and goes and I just pass out and nobody finds me and I was like were you alone yeah I was like that would suck crazy okay did you leave from LA um that one my friend gave me a ride up to Oakland which is where I originally tried to catch out and um I uh Shit, man, I tried and tried for like three days and uh, couldn't couldn't figure it out, couldn't get on a train. I didn't really know much, like just some info I had gleaned from the internet and like talking to a couple crust punk dudes that used to be friends with like an ex-girlfriend of mine. And um, I just was like, fuck it, I want to go. And I figured Oakland was like a good spot to catch out because... Uh, Actually, I forget why I chose Oakland instead of LA, but um, well, it looks like in the book that uh, it has a lot of options. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's trains coming and going from everywhere all the time. The trouble is just trying to figure out where the hell they are going. All right, so I haven't introduced you yet, so why don't you uh, go ahead and do that? Uh, my name is Drew Benneman, and I'm a photographer and a cinematographer from Denver, but I live in LA, and uh. And my favorite vacation is riding trains. <laughs> Which is something that uh, I think people imagine you buy a ticket and you go on a beautiful scenic ride up the coast. But you rather get down dirty in the coal, you know, coal carts and all that crap. And that's pretty fucking wild, actually, I think. Um, I met him two nights ago. And uh, as soon as I heard he train hopped, I was just completely enamored with like the idea um i didn't know people actually still did it i mean there was like photo essays and stuff that came out the last couple of years like so like all the hipsters started realizing that's still a thing but i mean it's a hardcore thing to do like you can get arrested right oh yeah i've gotten arrested oh you have oh yeah really yeah um the first time i was trying to hop out out of oakland i was like 
just dicking around in the yard and the yard is really big because there's like a huge port up there and so there's like ships and tons of trains and they're all coming and going and all this stuff but there's like parts of the yard that are like totally not used and I didn't know like what to look for to try to figure out like where the trains were that I wanted to be on or anything so I was just like futzing around but I was like laying there under um that big like basically the mouth of the bay bridge where like the i forget like the 880 and the 580 and the whatever all connect under the bridge there and i was just like laying next to one of those pillars and i had a uh a police scanner that was like tuned to the <laughs> the railway frequencies because they all like talk over the radio and if you know what to listen for you can kind of like listen and fig try to figure out which train is doing what um, but I was like laying there and I like didn't notice this like the the rail cop or like the bull like drove by uh, He was like over to my right and I was like, oh shit Like he <laughs> totally just drove past me and I didn't move and he didn't see me. That was awesome And I was like, well, that was lucky and then like uh, five minutes later He comes back and I had my headphones in listening to the scanner, but he like rolled up like within 10 feet of me and was like hey and I was like oh shit hey and he was like what are you doing and I was like um camping and he was like oh yeah <laughs> I was like yeah and he knew what you were doing <laughs> yeah right? like he knew yeah I was like sitting there with a police scanner in the train yard dressed like a hobo yeah um, and do you, do you dress like a hobo intentionally or what? Uh, I try to look the part a little bit, you know. I don't wear my uh, my normal uh, chinos and button-up L.A. outfit. I try to uh, dress accordingly, but also dress knowing that I'm going to get super, super dirty. There's basically no way to not get dirty on a train. They don't hose them down very often. Do you take a medical kit? Uh, yeah, I take a first aid kit with like some basic shit and then also like um, uh, like a tourniquet and um, there's this this stuff called quick clot, which... Oh, quick clot's great. Yeah. yeah, like the powder you put in... Oh, you use the powder? Yeah, yeah. You should not use it, actually. Oh, really? You should, yeah, you should get the, the gauze. Like the 12-foot-long tw gauze you can stuff into a wound. Oh, really? It's much more effective, and it's safer. Oh, really? Yeah, the military stopped using the quick clot so long ago because you can cause burning. No shit. Yeah, yeah. Good so, to know. So I'll, ca I'll carry, like, the... Like, on my backcountry excursions, I'll carry, like, the 12-foot of gauze that you just stuff into someone's wound. You know, and it like basically like co uh, coagulates the blood because you're just stuffing like part um, the gauze in there, and it like soaks it all in, and it also just puts pressure. Um, and it has, I think, it has some chemical reaction, like as well. It can coagulate blood, but it's a lot safer, and it's what everybody uses now. No shit. It's like twenty five bucks, so I, I picked that up for you. Oh, dude, I've got a uh, a very hefty like uh, earthquake kit I'm working on. And I'm like trying to put together my first aid kit and I just put some quick clot in there, but that's good to know. I'll get rid of it. I mean, don't get rid of it. It's always good to have as a backup, but I don't like, it's not recommended anymore. Yeah. Cause obviously like all these first aid medics and stuff like that, they always go off what the military buys and what they start using just because they spend so much damn money and they have to deal with that so often. Totally. Um, but tourniquets hand down like one of the best things you can buy. Because, you know, if you have a laceration on any artery or vein, what are you going to do? You, you know, you can't. Especially if you're on a train and it's, like, not like you can call 911 and be like, yeah, I'm on a train somewhere moving fast north um, between L.A. and Portland. I don't know where I am. Help. How often do you uh, see other people out there? Uh, it depends on where you are. If you are, so the last couple times I went, I caught out of about like an hour and 10 minutes or so east of LA. There's a town called Colton, which is basically like Riverside. Um, and that's where Union Pacific's like main yard in Southern California is, is Colton. And um, a lot of train yards, just by virtue of like what they are, tend to have big areas of like like wooded areas near them or like adjacent or whatever you know there's like bushes and stuff to hide in um and uh the colton yard has that like right along i think it's the 
10, or is it the 210? No, it's the 10. Uh, right along I-10 there um, has a big, what's called like jungle. And uh, there's like a huge hobo camp in the jungle where all these hobos hang out and um, train rider kids and whatever. And so every time I've been over there, I've run into a lot of people. Um, Otherwise, it kind of depends on where you are. I mean, usually there's somebody nearby. You always run into, like, maybe not in the yard or, like, next to the yard. But, I mean, you're always running into, like, traveler people or hobos or homeless people or whatever you want to call them. Have, you, have you found any uh, migrants uh, on, on these uh, excursions? Like, region? from south of the border? Yeah. No, no. never. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that's a thing, but I would imagine if I were trying to cross the border illegally, I would probably get off the train as soon as possible. So oh, I'm yeah, sure they probably, they probably all... they crazy, huh? I'm sure they probably all, if they do, if they are crossing the border on freight trains, which I'm not positive any freight lines, like, would run over the border and not get checked or whatever, but I'd probably get off, like, right away down near San Diego or something like that. I think point. there's um, one train line that goes out from Colton, goes east through like Palm Springs and stuff, out into like Yuma and onto El Paso. And I think somewhere along there, it's supposed to kind of like zigzag over the border a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. There's like trying to get information on trains is really. Well, it's hard to get, like, real information. It's like, if you're talking to someone in the train yard, it's like, who knows if they know what they're talking about. You don't really know what's going on anyways. I mean, people are like, oh, dude, like, don't get on that train, man. You're going to go through, like, x-rays and all sorts of shit looking for illegals and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, somebody else is like, no, dude, nobody does that. Like, get on that train. It's fine. Nobody gives a shit. Just, like whatever keep your head down it's fine like you know it's like everybody gives you a different answer so you know you'll meet someone and you'll be like oh yeah i'm trying to get here and someone's like oh you got to get on this train and then you got to get off here the only way to do it is to do that and then you got to wait like this amount of time and then at like midnight this train will come through and you'll know it's this one you got to be on that one that's the only way to do it and then someone else will be like Oh, no dude just take the bus over here and then like get on that and it's a straight shot it's super easy i've done it a million times and it's like there's just so much information like that but anyways long story short yeah i've heard of a lot of people being like oh yeah man like i totally got on the wrong train and ended up in mexico or oh i totally like got on this train full of all these ms13 dudes like who had just come up from guatemala or whatever and it was totally fucked you and, think like, it's probably just story i think it's like yeah i think people are either just telling like ghost stories or they don't know what they're talking about or i don't know man i mean i guess everybody who does anything like wants to impress other people who do it too right? yeah exactly and i mean i realize that i'm like the new guy and even if i try to like dress the part or seem like cool and like i know what i'm doing when i'm out there it's like people know i'm not like a full-time like train rider kid so they're like, I think, yeah, people are trying to scare me a little bit, or I don't know what it is. People just talk. Yeah, it's like a cool factor almost, too, within the community, I, I imagine, you know? Totally. So we're, we're here, we're driving around, we're trying to figure out what this train does, where it goes. This is pretty much how you plan the beginning of your trips, right? Yeah, ideally, I mean, this is easier for me because this is downtown L.A., so we're super close to my house, and I can just... Uh, well, whatever, long story short, the plan is to hop out of here Friday night, get on a train that I heard goes straight from LA, straight up to Portland. I've got about a week off that I can do this. I've got a couple of friends who have wanted to go. And so we're gonna try to just get on this train and get out of here. But because I'm so close to this yard, I like am afforded the ability to come down here and take a peek, kind of do some pre-scouting, see if there's any holes in the fences or whatever. Well, you're taking new people with you, so it's kind of risky anyways. If you didn't scout it, like, you, you put in their experience, like, into a more sketchy... Yeah, totally. It's, uh, you know, I want to be able to just, like, get them down here, and they just get on a train, and we go, and it's all great, and 48 hours later, we're in Portland, and everything goes off without a hitch, but more often than not, at least in my experience, that never happens. So who are you taking with? Are they like other friends or? Yeah, I'm taking a couple of uh, 
just friends that I've known for a long time who have known that I've done this and uh, have always been super interested and wanted to go and um, oh they're moving a train um, and uh, yeah I don't know they've wanted to go they've been hounding me and uh, we finally all had like a week off work so just like three or four days ago we were like should we go should we go now like okay let's do it so we're gonna try to do it did you um, increase your risk by having people who haven't done it go with you? Um, yeah, I mean, in theory, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I also don't really know what I'm doing, so. How many tr uh, train excursions have you done before? Or what, what, do you, what would you call each event? Um, I don't know. Ride, I guess? How, How many, many train rides, rides have yeah. I taken? Um... I mean, it kind of depends on how you split it up, but I've, like, taken some time off of my life to go train hopping, like, this will be the fifth time, I guess, fourth or fifth time, but each one kind of has, you know, multiple train experiences. Uh, last time I went, uh, <laughs> look at these workers right in the back of this train. Dude, just get a, get a vest and hop on. See? It's that easy, man. We should just come down here in the middle of the day with vests look like yard workers i feel like that's definitely a thing that's probably not a terrible uh, i've idea. gone on to construction sites just looking like i work there really yeah it's i just want to check out the building so i climbed up that's awesome yeah in, that's, Ber in uh... berkeley they used to have uh these like uh huge cranes i always wanted to climb one yeah but never never did it but i thought about it i was like i'm just gonna dress up walk up there just start climbing up the stairs you know break the lock if i have to and just like go to the top uh, not stairs, but like the steps to the ladder. Yeah. I still want to do that. So if anybody knows a crane that's fucking cool, Dude. hit me up. I'm sure there's like <laughs> a ton. Well, there's there's people who do everything you can imagine. Like, there's still people who train hop. Like, I wouldn't think about doing that ever, you know? Uh, that's why I'm kind of amused by it. But not to use amuse in a diminishing form. But yeah, like, yeah. actually, like, I'm very interested. Um... It also just seems a little risky, <laughs> like getting arrested and having to deal with like any uh, consequences or fines. Uh, but I, I, I can also imagine they, they kind of mellowed it out now. Like it's not as crazy. Like they're not gonna throw you in jail or like fine you a lot of money. It depends on where you are. Um, and again, I mean, a lot of it is like people telling ghost stories like, oh, dude, like, don't go through that yard. You'll definitely get busted or like, oh, yeah, my buddy was on a train and like the bull got on and like kicked his teeth in and like locked the door on him and left him there to die. And like, you know, just shit like that. But I just don't have that. <laughs> I like I have trouble believing that because I just like don't view humanity like that i guess i don't yeah. know i i hung out i used to hang out with a lot of like anarchist crust punk dudes and like people <laughs> and there's just like this absolute at least with the people i was hanging out with there was like um an attitude in the community of like anybody who is in charge of anything is automatically going to be an asshole who's like bloodthirsty for like anybody below them on the totem pole oh, yeah. and like wants them dead so it's like oh if like you run into the cops like they're definitely going to be assholes if you run into the rail cop like if there's a yard worker or like what it's like everybody's out to get you Every, everybody's an asshole like it's just like I don't that's like so opposite of how I view the world it's also kind of part of the punk scene, though. Yeah, who, it's who, like... Who might be more attracted to doing activities like this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think that this is definitely more of, like, a young, like, anti-establishment, transient community vibe. Which it's is ridiculous, like... because this is very much establishment. Exactly, <laughs> like, like right? Like, taking a train. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, dude, if you really hated society, you'd, like, own a horse and well, take that everywhere yeah. or something. Well, well, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, every situation that I'm in, and just, like, people are probably more often than not chill if you are a chill person back to them. Like, right. I was train hopping with a couple of friends. We were in Ogden, Utah, and it was, like, me and my two buddies uh, from L.A., and we caught out of Colton, 
And along the way, we picked up this hobo named Johnny Inferno, who was a <laughs> diabetic Vietnamese hobo, who was Wait, like, really? yeah, the nicest dude ever. He had, uh, he used to be like really rough, but now he's like a born again Christian. And um, he like, his cargo pockets were filled with juice boxes because he was a diabetic. But, um, and, and he, he was just living life as a hobo? Yeah, he just like rolled around, like picked up work here and there or whatever. But uh, he had this tattoo on his chest, this tiger tattoo that in Vietnamese above the tiger, it said, I will tear your soul apart. It was like, it was like, this dude used to be fucking rough, but now he's like the world's nicest man. But he, we were like trying to catch out of Colton for a couple of days and like, we couldn't like get on the right train or figure it out or whatever. And he was like, oh, I'll get you guys out of here. And so uh, he like got us on a train and he got on too and like went up through um, Vegas and we ended up in Salt Lake City. And then we were like, oh, I think to get on like a train, we were trying to ultimately get to New Orleans. But we were like, oh, maybe we'll uh, go up to Ogden because we read in, like, the crew change book that, like, a train going from Ogden will go, whatever, like, cut down to New Orleans somehow. Are you, are you cool talking about the book? Yeah, yeah. All right, hold on. Let me set this down because I'm having a yeah. hard time just holding it. If we're going to sit here for a little bit, I'm going to set it down. Yeah. Here, we'll set it on. Yeah, it's fine. We'll, we'll just do this. So, um, okay, let's talk about the crew change book. Let's talk about what you're, you're taking with you in your backpack, what you're eating, like how you're taking this shit on a train when it doesn't stop. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Where do you want to start? Uh, you can start with the Crew Change book. Okay, so there's this book that some people have. It's called The Crew Change. It is like a guide to specific towns. How do I describe this? You basically look up in a if you're in a town, you look up in the crew change book, the town, and it will tell you information about the train yards in that town, specifically from a point of view of a train hopper. So like, for instance, um, I'll make it up. You'll be like in Denver and you'll look up Denver and it's like, oh, from like this super central point downtown, if you're trying to get east, you need to go to this train yard. So what you need to do is get on like bus 15 and you need to take it to like the Alabama Street Station, get off, walk four blocks north, two blocks east. You're going to find uh, that you're on the west side of the Union Pacific Yard. There's a hole in the fence like 100 yards south of here. It's that specific? <clears throat> yeah. Like, Holy it's crap. like, yeah, it gets I just super, super through it. It's super specific. But um, again, it's like not an every year thing, um, so it's not always up to date, but it's pretty good. It's like a very good place to start if you have one. If not, um, you know, it's still not rocket science to get on a moving train. Um, but yeah, basically this thing is written by, I don't know, hobos, train enthusiasts, like people who hop and used to hop and it's updated by them. And every edition, which is, I don't know, once every few years or something like that, they just make a bunch of photocopies of it and give it to their friends, and their friends make photocopies of it. Basically, the only way to get it is to know someone who has it and have them make a photocopy version of it for you, which helps because it's only given out to, like, trusted people and, you know. The whole community is kind of, like, tight-knit and, like, quiet. Um partially because it's like an illegal community and partially just because I think that people understand that we, the last thing we need is like everyone in the world trying to hop a train. Yeah, then it gets bad. I mean, then, yeah. Then, hold on one second, actually. Uh, yeah, then, then it'll just get bad and people will start ruining it. You know, you yeah, and it's like you also get a bunch of people who like maybe should not be doing this riding and then like getting themselves or other people hurt. And then before you know it, like... Well, it's a big factor. Security is way heavier, and yeah. I mean, I'd just be... I'd be cautious about getting hurt. Uh, you know? But what you were saying about the, the smoke in the tunnel, like the fumes in the tunnel, that's scary. That's like a real threat. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, like, dangerous shit. I mean, depending on what kind of train car you're riding, like... If you're in, like, a boxcar full of stuff, like, things can shift around and trains jerk and they slam and they move and, um, you know, it can be dangerous if you're not paying attention, but honestly, it doesn't 
when I do it, it doesn't feel like that dangerous. I mean, I've gotten on a couple of trains that were moving and that's always like a little bit sketch, but for the most part, it's like, you know, the train is stopped, you sneak up, you get on, you lay low, and then when you're moving, it's like, just hang on, man. Don't like do any dumb shit. Don't get drunk. Don't like be strung out on meth or heroin and like roll over the side. Just like, you know, like anything else in life, just be aware and like <laughs> present. Do I don't you, know. So, all right, what are you eating when you're on a 48 hour train? Um, you can kind of bring whatever you want. I mean, I always try to pack everything uh, into one backpack so I can just kind of be hands-free as much as possible, have two hands available. And uh, that would include food, uh, a ton of water, clothes, just like general gear. Like I usually bring a sleeping bag because even like right now, I mean, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. It's already 85 degrees in LA. It's supposed to be like 105 by the end of the day. But if we got on a train today, it might be 105 during the day. But as you go north, and if you're on the outside of a car going 70 miles an hour, like, come the middle of the night, it's going to be fucking cold. It's always cold. Um, so, you know, like, windbreaker, I usually bring, like, my really tight, like, compacted sleeping bag, sleeping mat, food, water, a book, flashlight, first aid, Do a you knife. Do a stove? No, I've never taken a stove. Um, Food-wise, I usually pack, like, cans of tuna is good because they're relatively light and they have a lot of water in them which is always good hydration is like the number one concern um especially when it gets so hot during the day and then just whatever man i pack like pb and j stuff like a whole loaf of bread and like peanut butter and jelly jars like plastic ones because the glass always breaks i've done that a few times oh shit <laughs> um and then just like whatever man sunflower seeds blow pops Blue pops. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm like always like you know your mouth is dry you just want like fucking blow pop I just want a blow pop. So what do you really get out of it? Like the is it just like experience the the fascination of doing something that's so rarely done, like a thrill of like just doing something that so few people do, or do you just want to get somewhere as with as odd of a transportation mode as possible. The absolute last thing that I'm concerned about when I'm train hopping is like where I'm gonna be. That's, some people are really good at this. And some people can like walk into a train yard, know exactly which track a train is gonna leave on. They can look at the train and just know by what's on it. Like, oh, that train is coming from here and that's definitely going here. And they can just like read the train like that. I'm not that guy. I can like guess but I'm not that good at reading trains. So for me, it's just about getting on a train and being on a train. Because I found that the biggest mistake you can make, at least as like a new train hopper, is having a destination in mind. Because you will more than likely not get there and you definitely won't get there at the time you think you will. Like it's not a sure method of transportation. <laughs> but the thing that I get out of it is just adventure man it's like in this society and like being a whatever a 30 year old white male in this society it's like everything is fucking safe everything is like planned out everything's it's like i can get in my car and go wherever i want but it's like everything is like set you know and there's not like we live in a place and a time where everything is set up to like maximize people's safety which is great and we like have a lot less like a lot fewer maimed children and things like that it's awesome but i just feel like your opportunities for adventure at this point in time are like slim you know it's like yeah you can go like camping or whatever but you know, you're, what are you going to do? You're going to hike, you're going to swim in the river. Like, that's great. But there's not, like, a lot of opportunity to really go totally outside of where you're supposed to go. Like, all that's, like, in a national park or whatever. But this is, like, you're going somewhere you're not supposed to go. You're doing something you're not supposed to do. And it's just rewarding in that sense. It's just adventure. I don't know. And it, there's also, like...
it's so American as well, which <laughs> I totally eat up. I'm just like, dude, this is like so like good old boy American. Go hop on a freight train and just like see where the wind takes you. You know? I don't yeah. know. There's something about it. It reminds me of uh, not William Faulkner, but who's that writer who did that? Oh, shit, I can't think of the name. Um, the truck behind us started. Hold on, let's move out. Oh, up a yeah, let's bit. move out of here. Do you have uh, anybody in your life who criticizes this? My mom. <laughs> your mom, really? Yeah, but not because it's like against the law or anything. She just wants me to be safe. She just goes, God, Drew, you're 30 years old. When are you gonna just start doing normal stuff? <laughs> That's so not fair. And I go, uh, very likely never. <laughs> huh. Um, all right, I'm gonna transition to your time in Afghanistan. Not like, oh, okay, you cool. know, not as a, like you were a civilian in Afghanistan, but you, yeah. you went, you went one, one time to shoot a film. What film was it? Um, I was the B camera operator and second unit DP on a short film called Buskashi Boys. Uh, which shot in, oh God, 2011, 2012, something like that, like March in uh, Kabul. And uh, that one, so like after that experience, you, you went back out there to just take the 8x10 stills. Yeah, uh, my buddy who was the gaffer on that, like the lighting dude, he and I, um, who were good friends, just like fell in love with Afghanistan and just were like so floored by the people and the beauty we were like just dead set on the idea of going back and shooting photos so we went back um, we shot the movie in February or something like that maybe March and then we went back in July for a month and yeah just rented like a back house and Got up every day, walked around with a big 8x10 camera and like a big drop cloth that we bought there and set it up where the light was right. And then just inevitably there was like a crowd of people around. So we would just take people's picture as they wanted to. And then... Um, and that's also like an experience that the average white American, as you, you mentioned, would never have. No, probably not. So, so... It's not, it's not easy to get into Afghanistan. Yeah, you can't do that now. You can't just go right now and do that. Anymore. I mean, so basically how the movie worked was uh, I was friends with a bunch of people at a production company and worked with them a lot. And one of the owners of the production company had a good friend who he knew from film school who lived in Kabul and was the head of like a media company. He's just this American dude. And there was when the Taliban fell, they had like outlawed television. So all of a sudden there was this market of millions of people who could buy TVs and wanted content, but there was no content existed. Mm -hmm. Like the last Afghan thing to get made was like 10 years earlier before the Taliban took over. So there was no new content. So there was this big rush of media companies coming in and like cell phone companies and television stations, everybody, wanted a piece of this brand new market and so he was out there just doing whatever shooting commercials and shooting like the fucking corporate videos for the afghan airlines and doing all this stuff but um my buddy at the production company wrote a short film about two kids who were growing up in the streets of kabul they were like uh i forget the name they have for it but basically these kids that go around to cars and traffic with like um incense and they like bless your car and stuff for change and they like wash windows and whatever these two kids who dreamt of being buskashi players which if you don't know buskashi it's more or less polo but it's played with um a the headless carcass of a goat so, so they'll be on a horse and then they'll like use a stick to drag the goat around uh there's like 30 40 50 players i don't know how many on horses and they will just ride around and like bend over off the horse at full speed and grab one of like the legs of this thing and drag it to the other side of the pitch and try to put it in like a big circle on the ground. Mm. And the other players will be like kicking them and punching them, trying to get it back. And like every match that I saw was like really, really brutal. And like men were getting carried off the field with like broken arms and legs. It's like rough, but the story was about these two kids who like basically were poor, but really wanted to 
um, the Buzgashi players. That was like what they dreamt of. Um, but anyway, so in order to get that film made, what we basically did, the production company, was start a nonprofit called the Afghan Film Project. And the Afghan Film Project was set up basically to educate young Afghans who are interested on how to make films. So basically in doing that, we, I say we, I'm not really involved in this, but in doing that, the nonprofit itself got, I forget, like $200,000 from the US government to make this movie. Because it was seen as like a provincial building project, because huh. we were like training Afghans to new, do this new thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I think like nine or ten of us went over there, and um, each of the departments had uh, one or two Afghan interns who we were basically training as we went. So I was in the camera team, so we had like two camera dudes who just, I mean, there's like all these young Afghans who are way into film. And that had not had access to it. That hadn't had access to it. And, you know, they could get, like, ripped DVDs and things of, like, Bollywood movies and whatever. But they basically didn't, like, they were into it, but they didn't, they, you know, they couldn't go make movies, right? Right. And so the Taliban falls, and then we come, and we, like, hire all these kids. And they're, like, getting paid, and we're teaching them as we go. And we make this film. Um... And I don't know. I mean, it was a success. It was up for an Oscar that year. I forget what year it was. We didn't win, but um, yeah, it was cool. So, so that gave you the experience to go back out there and and, and learn how to be out there, and not be in the way, in a sense. Um, like, I yeah, that. that was like a good primer on how to like operate in Afghan society when you're a foreigner, which at the time was like very chill and relaxed. I mean, it was like a pretty good time to be in Afghanistan as a foreigner but mostly what that did was allow us so like if you're trying to go to a country that's at war I don't know how it is for every country but Afghanistan at least you couldn't just buy a ticket and get a travel visa to Afghanistan you had to have a reason for being there they weren't just letting anybody in Um, so we applied for our visas um, basically saying that we were from the Afghan Film Project, this nonprofit, oh, okay. and because it was like a registered nonprofit with the Afghan government, they were like, "Oh, cool!" and they approved our visas, and so we just came. And um, I mean, in a sense, we kind of continued it because we, every time we would go out, we'd bring a translator, and the translator was always one of the kids that we had met on the film, so they were like still coming and helping us out and learning eight by 10. Not that that's like an (laughs) up-to-date viable uh, medium, but yeah, so we did that and um, did it for a month. And then about 18 months later, this is where it gets weird. Um, The production company that did the short got hit up by this media company that does a lot of work for the military and the defense department and the state department. And they were commissioned to basically shoot a propaganda piece on the Afghan military that was going to be shown to Congress and like a bunch of congressmen prior to when Congress was voting like whether or not to cut back all this funding to the military projects that were involved in training the Afghan military. So basically this media company gets hired to do this thing they've never shot overseas they've never shot in afghanistan they're like we don't know how to do this and then they're like oh wait but we saw that short film so they hit up (laughs) the company that did the short film and they're like hey the defense department just gave us whatever it was three million dollars to shoot this 30 or 45 minute propaganda movie that will only be shown to congress in afghanistan um how do we do this and so they basically hired like the entire crew of the short film to go over there so we went over there and for that was the third time yeah this is my third time so for two weeks i had to live on a military base in afghanistan camp eggers in downtown kabul and like shoot this propaganda piece we basically just went around to different afghan army bases and like filmed them doing drills and shit so sorry to interrupt but do you think that the money that three million was from the u.s it was definitely from the U.S., yeah. It was, like, taxpayer dollars. So you, well, that's fucking crazy. It was, like, it's a weird thing. Like, so, basically, we were paid 
to go over there and shoot this movie that was like very clearly not documentary but was set up kind of like a documentary of the Afghan army making good use of all the money that we've been giving it and then they cut it together and showed it to Congress and so that Congress was like when it came time to vote on budget cuts, they would be like, you know, I just saw this thing that showed that the Afghan army's doing pretty well with our money. We should keep it flowing. Um, so and it was funny. paid for by the Defense Department. It was very weird. It's, it's weird that you bring this up because I usually, like, I'm, I don't talk about political topics, but I do criticize a lot of this sort of uh, taxpayer dollar, like, usage. I, I did not think we'd get to this, but so... How did it? How did it feel? Like, did the production company feel like it was doing a disservice at any point? You think? Um, the way I kind of like thought about it was, the military is going to spend this money, and I have no control over that. So, if they want to spend three million, or like the year previous to that, like two hundred thousand dollars, on making like a little movie as opposed to like whatever other horrible thing the military is spending money on I was like alright fine let's do it like that seems like a better use of their money to me than whatever else they're doing you know as I think as filmmakers people who, who do these sort of, this sort of work where it's like hard to get money to do this at least it feels like we're doing something like creative with it like a better usage than so I kind of I feel that sentiment even though like I probably would do the, I probably would have gone and done that film for sure yeah. Just to have the opportunity, but it, it like it does feel a little weird. Oh, it definitely feels because I was like I like had like a military contractor ID and I was like sleeping on an army base and the whole thing just felt off and shitty. And it was also it was super interesting to see having been to Afghanistan twice just like as a dude who was like sleeping on couches and going to parties and like going to like there's a few bars around town that are only open to people who have passports from non-Muslim countries, so like Afghans and Iranians and people like that can't get into these bars, but the Afghan government allowed the bars to be set up, basically, because I mean, I think the first thing that happens when England or America invades a place is we, like, kill a bunch of bad guys and then immediately try to figure out where we can put a bar and get drunk. <laughs> um, but there's, like, all these bars... And so, like, I was just, like, a guy who was, like, sleeping on couches and, like, walking down the street to the grocery store to get groceries and, like, getting drunk and partying and, you know, flirting with girls and whatever. And then to come back and be on an army base and just view the world. Like, when we would go around to places to film, we were with um, a bunch of really nice dudes, these Guamanian U.S. Army soldiers. They were all from Guam. But we would have to, like, legally, because we were on the military's insurance, we had to, like, wear Kevlar helmets, wear, um, you know, plate carriers and ballistic plates. We had to be inside their MRAPs, which, like, are these fucking monster truck mine-resistant... <laughs> vehicles and like cruise around with them they're like always surrounding us they're always like armed guards around us all the time we had like it was like a very different experience to then see it from that point of view because it wasn't just how do I put that like the really interesting thing for me after being in Afghanistan and meeting all these nice people and being like dude everybody here is so nice and having that worldview that I currently hold like totally backed up like everybody's just nice if you're nice to them like whatever um to then be in like an armored vehicle or surrounded by U.S. soldiers and see everyone in the market like stare you down like you're the biggest asshole in the world like it puts a bullseye on you it totally does I never felt more unsafe than when I was like guarded by U.S. soldiers but it was also like I can totally see in the mind of all these U.S. soldiers how they feel like Afghanistan is a very hostile, unsafe place. Yeah. Because, well, you have yeah. guns and nobody else has guns and everybody hates you because you have guns. And you're exactly. And it's like, of, it's like, of course, everyone is staring at you like you're a fucking asshole. You're the only guy in the market who's like ready to kill people. And 
Or who, who suspects everybody of possibly being a murderer? Exactly. And on the flip side of that, like, of course you are scared of being out in public in this country because, like, no doubt everybody is staring at you like they really wish that you were dead right now or at least not in this country right now because you're, like, the asshole here. So it's like I got both sides of it, but it was just like, fuck, dude, it's, like, such a shitty situation to see this from that side. Um but, you know, whatever. I have a better understanding of all that. But, yeah, basically when that... You also went three times to Afghanistan as a non-military personnel. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. Because I, I don't think people realize how culturally diverse that space is on its own in, in, within the Middle East. And that you're someone who got to experience it in three different ways. Yeah. I mean... And, and you can't go back now, necessarily, right? It's just too I don't think I would. Everybody I know there has pretty much moved. I mean, I'm still friends with all those Afghan kids there, but, like I mean... Facebook or... Uh, yeah, Facebook and stuff. Actually, one of them, who was, like, our directing intern, is, like, a big-time director DP there now. He just bought... Well, this was, like, a couple years ago, but he bought a red camera online from oh. some dude in L.A., and so he got me to go out and, like, check out the camera and make sure it was cool. Um, and everything like worked and whatever before the guy shipped it to him in Afghanistan. But, um, but yeah, basically when that project was done, the insurance, like, con like the contract for the military said that they would like drop us off at the airport in the armored car and then like their contract and obligation and responsibility ended. So they dropped us off and then me and my buddy just like got right in a local cab and headed back to town and stuck around for like another two and a half weeks and shot more portraits oh really yeah that's <laughs> so awesome everybody else we were like all right goodbye and then we we're like all right let's go get some fucking vodka that's so funny it's yeah. it's such a weird dynamic to have it's to yeah with. it's like to be like dropped off fully secured because you're in this hostile environment and then turn around and be like yeah but also everybody's fine with me it's just you the guys in the trucks they have a problem with that's like <laughs> I want to find like an uh, analogy to equate that to but it's just it's just so odd I mean it's like yeah you know whatever something about a wolf or a sheep or clothing or something but yeah or just even something more mundane than that oh shit our train pulled out oh shit we should find it see I don't see it Oh, it's already gone? Oh, there That's it is. It. Yeah, wow, look at that. I think you could come here right there, put a little hole underneath, and just, like, run in. Probably, right? Yeah, no, I don't think it'd be that difficult. Look how slow it's going, too, around or that turn. Or we should figure out, we should, go, we should go to the turn and figure out where you can jump on there, because that's the last place it'll be, so you won't have to be at the, tr the train here all that long, right? Yeah. Let's see here. Let's cruise up there. Conversation cut short. We gotta go hop this train. <laughs> Life. I know, right? If this works out, I've like been dying to find like that sure thing train. So whenever I am just like, God, I wanna get on a train, I can just get on and go. And it's like not a whole multi-day thing trying to figure out which one to get on and I gotta go out east and shit. Like if I could just come down here, at night when I want to get on a train and if the train's there I get on and if it's not I just go home and sleep until the next day that would be awesome yeah no camping out and having to wait exactly then, like, being in a shitty situation where you're just waiting and don't know what you're doing um so going back to trains for a second so how do you how do you poop um to be honest with you I hold it <laughs> you do yeah my body just goes up oh, we're on a train turning this off and I just never really have to go what about um, peeing? Uh, peeing, you just hold on and pee off the side. Just make sure nobody's there. Yeah, basically. I, I don't think this is a turn. Well, the turn is down there under the bridge. I guess we can go down there. Yeah, we should check that out. Or is there a place you can jump onto the train? As, well, as we'd have moving? to, we'd like have to break through these fences or the other option would be to go. Let's see if we can catch it. I wonder if you could rappel down from a bridge. Like, no no joke. I mean, probably, yeah, why not? Like, have someone there, like, to remove your rope? To suck it back up? Yeah. That's what That's what your girlfriend's for when she drops you off. <laughs> Is she not going on this one? She's not going because she's got to go uh, out of town for something else. Uh... 
but she was like, can I go, drop you guys off? How did that go over? Like, hey, babe, I want to go train hopping. I want you to come with me. Uh, that actually was awesome because I had, I've like known this girl for a long time. Her name's Nikki. Um, we'd been like friends for a while and I was like really crushing hard and I had like just made my move and she was into it. And, uh, <laughs> we had been dating for like four or five weeks. Maybe we weren't like boyfriend, girlfriend yet, but you know, we were just like dating for like a few weeks and I was supposed to go with these other people and they slowly all just like bailed cause they had work and shit. And I really wanted to go and I was like, I bet she'd be awesome at this. And so I was like, hey, this is kind of weird, but do you want to take like two weeks off work and go ride trains with me? She was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I was like, all right, before you say yes, let me explain to you the situation. I was like, it can be really dirty. It, it's loud. It's uncomfortable. Like, uh, you'll probably have to poop in front of me. Um, it's really boring at times. You just sit in a ditch next to a train yard for like two, three days straight. You gotta like eat fast food, you know, like all this shit. And she was like, definitely, I wanna go for sure. And I was like, we could get arrested. There could be like hobos who wanna like mug us. We could get thrown off the train. She was like, I'm there, I wanna go. And I was like, all right. And I like wasn't totally convinced that she'd be like as Legit cool with it as go. she was. Yeah. And she was like such a better train hopper than me. She like just sits there, has a great time when there's no trains, like, you know, doing nothing for like three days. She's totally fine. So is, um, it, is it gonna come through here? It just curved north of this bridge. Let's walk out onto these tracks and see it. Yeah, for sure. All right. We're on the train track. We're walking out under the first street bridge. See our train here. You see it? No, so it already curved up, but it's right under that bridge right there under Chavez. Oh, we should have ran out there. We should yeah. check that out. Like let's, right now? Yeah, let's, let's oh, put Oh shit, here's some people. Let's put a hold on this and lock the car up and go check it out. All right, let's do it. That's not a train behind us, is it? it? Sounds like it. Could be. We should get off the tracks. Oh no, it's there. Amtrak. Oh, Amtrak, very cool. Um, yeah, anyways, so we're walking along the tracks right now. This is gonna sound hella noisy. Whatever, deal with it. It's kind of a cool experience. Uh, what's your Instagram? Uh, I am OMGDLB. Dope. Look him up. He's going to have a lot of photos on it. Well, he already has photos of it, of his train hopping experiences and all the other cool shit he probably does. I mean, I don't want to make any promises, but <laughs> yeah, there's some cool shit. The suffering of 48 hours in a train. <laughs> it gets boring, man. You're like super pumped for the first two hours and then you're like, oh my God, when are we going to be somewhere? Isn't that funny though? I, I find the same thing in hunting. It's like, I'll be st on a stock and it takes like two hours to get within a hundred yards of an animal and I have to wait. I know, right? It's way better than like twiddling your thumbs in traffic or whatever. I think we should call it, uh, it's been a fun podcast, but right now we got some exploring to do. So have fun everybody and uh, wish Drew a good luck. Keep up with his Instagram, you know, watch his movies. Thanks for having me. Be safe. All right, thank you.